Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. Time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome into the Otson Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. Hello, uh, hello. It's a little Monday afternoon, little morning, depending on when you get this show up. Uh, it's an off day for Oregon football. There is no media day. And by off day, I mean uh, they are practicing or they are doing some team activities. Um, but today is a non-media day. So for Eric and I's perspective, it's an off day. There, there isn't much going on with the program, so it's a good time to reset things and kind of go back uh, and look at what has transpired over the last couple of days because the most recent time that we saw this football team was on Saturday afternoon as they exited Otson Stadium from their second and final fall camp scrimmage. Uh, media were not allowed into the scrimmage. Only family and friends of the program were allowed into the facility to watch this, this scrimmage play out. And I think naturally, um, Eric, everyone's eyes kind of gravitate and it's, it's going to be now kind of a day by day basis is today. The day that Mario Cristobal names a starting quarterback is today. The day that we know, with certainty who starts for Oregon week one, September 4th, two weeks away from now um, at quarterback for Oregon ducks. Um, And to make it short in the words of Mario Cristobal, he was asked timeline of making a quarterback decision. And he said four words, we're close. We're close. Eric, we're close to finding out who's going to be starting quarterback. <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, and, and I'm, part of the reason I, I pause is it, I, I don't – this is like the second time Mario's had to pick a quarterback because he inherited Justin Herbert, and it was clear that was going to be the case throughout. And then last year with Tyler Shuck, he actually never announced a quarterback between Shuck right. or, or Brown. They just like Shuck started against Stanford and away we went. So um, it, it's possible to me that we never get an official starting quarterback um, announcement which I, I kind of think might be a mistake sometimes. I, I think it's important to communicate that confidence in whoever you choose for the job, especially after a, a hotly contested competition, which by the way, is, is it sounds like it's, it sounds like it's, comp- it's competitive. You know, that it would have been, there's a lot of opportunities now to have named Anthony Brown, your starting quarterback, especially after he took all the spring reps, especially after entered fall. And, and from when we've watched has done pretty close to the same thing. Um, and yet they haven't. And I think that in of itself is kind of notable that they haven't announced. And I don't know when we're going to get an announcement, Matt. But, um, yeah, I think we continue to go out to, to practice expecting to hear kind of maybe something more clear. And, and we haven't gotten that yet. And that's okay. 
this week could be the week. Mario said when we started fall camp uh, about a couple weeks ago that they want to spend, you know, they have about 10 days out from the Fresno State game is when they kind of turn from fall yep. camp to game prep week. So, you know, if you're starting to prepare for Fresno State, part of that is identifying your starting quarterback. So I, I imagine that's part of the process that's ongoing here um, as we enter the third full week of, of fall camp. The I asked that question to Mario Cristobal. Um, first, I asked him about how had had any of the freshmen maybe separated themselves among the trio of freshmen. Um, he said no. He said they all basically do some things differently that are really good, but none of them do anything in particularly bad. Um, he said they're all unique in different ways. Um, he he brought up the fact that they can kind of change the offense, if you will, to any three of the quarterbacks. I imagine Jay Butterfields is probably a little bit more of a pocket passer, more, you know, they're going to be throwing the football a lot more. Um, Robbie Ashford would would be a little skewed towards more quarterback runs um, than Jay Butterfield. Not saying that it's going to be, you know, 15 carries a game for Robbie Ashford, but the more zone read is, is included in Robbie Ashford's game plan than it is with Jay Butterfield's game plan while they're still throw, both throwing the football quite a bit. And then Ty Thompson's kind of that, I would imagine, bleed in between. Um, Thompson is certainly good enough to run the football if required, but um, like all three of these quarterbacks, their, their best skill set is throwing the football. But then I asked also, like I, I phrased it as during spring camp, you were adamant that, that Anthony Brown was QB1. Mm-hmm. start of fall camp, you were adamant that Anthony Brown is QB1. Have any of the freshmen closed that gap? Have they started to catch up a little bit? Um, and he gave a non-answer. Uh, and I'm going to read some of his his quotes here. You know, gaps, we're talking about closing gaps. They're all better. Like we feel if we played our quarterbacks, we'll win. We're going to win football games. And then he goes on to say that, um, they're getting there, the freshmen, they're getting there, but also Anthony's pushing ahead as well. So as the gap closes from two, three, and four to one, there's also a push on the other side, which means Anthony is getting better, which extends the gap out a little bit again. So he didn't really give an answer. And I think that was telling because um, Mario and this Oregon football program, look, Every coach is this way. They're they're paranoid. They do not want to give out a competitive advantage to an opponent unless they absolutely have to. It's why we weren't allowed into parts of of practice last year. It's why it's why you know because we weren't in in practice because of COVID protocols. Uh, Mario wouldn't come out and give us the full injury report. You know, and he doesn't have to because we wouldn't see it. Um, we wouldn't see this guy is not at practice. And so I think that answer is pretty telling because like you mentioned, if Mario's had opportunities to come out and, and, and it really hammer home again, Hey, AB still our number one guy. It's clear cut. Here we go. I think this job maybe, I think Anthony is still probably the leader in the clubhouse, Eric. Um, I do think the job though, the decision to make, Anthony Brown, the full-time QB, might be a little tougher than expected because of the growth of these three guys. But then you also can see that Anthony Brown's gotten better because he's being pushed. 
Yeah, I, the honestly, the I think the most telling answer we've gotten to the quarterback thing might have might have been your second question that you asked on Saturday. Um, the answer he gave there, where honestly he just kind of hedged his bets both ways. He he didn't yeah. really take a stance one way or the other, and that's again, like you said, you explained sort of part of why. I think that's pretty telling um, to come out and, and kind of say, yeah, there might be separation being created, but then the separation is also then being uh, decreased be- because some of the players are also the, because Brown is also improving. Um, I, it, it's it's sort of perplexing to try to try to think through exactly what all that means. I mean, I, I understand, I guess, the point of it, but it's just kind of perplexing. And I think, again, speaks to sort of the uncertainty here. And if there is uncertainty this far into camp, Matt, like, do you not start kind of going – we know Ty Thompson was better than Brown in the first scrimmage. The second scrimmage, I think we're still kind of trying to piece some information together here um, because we didn't get to watch it. But there have been indications that maybe Thompson was better than Brown again. And, I mean, I, it sort of is feeling more and more like we might get to the Fresno State game in, in gosh, less than two weeks here. And we might not have a starter announced before that. And, and who knows? Maybe we, like, actually see a quarterback battle into games. I don't know. I mean, I, I, we I, see I three honestly orders. don't know. Do we see three ors on the first step chart? At oh gosh, that would be just devastating. <laughs> Try to parse through what that means. I mean, from a, you talk about competitive advantages. I mean, gosh, that's that's Mario like, would do that. He he he, hundred percent. Hey, th- this quarterback job is gonna is gonna bleed over into camp. We're confident with all the four guys. We we know we can win with all four guys. We're just gonna see how this goes. That's why we put four ors at quarterback. I, I just don't think that is is a good decision from a. It might no. be a good decision. And I'm from, saying that jokingly, but <laughs> sure. But I think from a competitive advantage, sure. Like here's the point I'll make, and then we can kind of move on because at this point we we just we just kind of have the information we've got. I think we we feel like Brown's probably a, a leg up based upon what we've heard. But I, I I will just again say like you get this far into camp, and if you can't differentiate between Brown, who's you know is going into what would be his fourth year as a starting quarterback at this level and some 18 to 19 to 20 year old true freshman. I don't know. That's a little bit of cause for concern. And, and if we really think that Thompson is, is, is outperforming him in scrimmages and is, is capable of being the better player, I, I probably lean towards let's let Thompson prove it on the field on game days um, and, and really see if he can make this work. And it begin, becomes more complicated when you consider what's on the schedule to start a season. Um, if, if Ohio state was not Ohio state and that game was, you know, I, I don't know, whatever other opponent you want to substitute there, not Ohio State, just Ohio. If it was just like another, if it was a smaller school, then I think you could toy around with this. But you have this marquee non-conference game a little over three weeks away from now, and you have to make a determination on this by the time that plays out. And so there is a little pressure here. Um, at the same time, like I, I, I'd like to see Ty Thompson getting game reps based upon everything we've seen um, and, and heard because I think he's earned it, and I think he might be the better quarterback of the two, and if that's the case, I think you'd go with him even though he has less experience. I think it's always – sports are always hard because it can be kind of cruel at times, and I'm with you. If if Ty Thompson and Anthony Brown are equal counters, you know, if they're equal in the race here, you if if you look at it, just eliminate the human element of it. And just pure data, pure numbers, and look at what's best for a program. You you pick the younger guy. Like that th- that happens in sports all the time. You pick the younger guy because in two or three years, that younger guy is still there and has that that one extra year of eligibility. 
Um, now, if Anthony Brown, like if he's even if it's like one tenth of a percentage point better than Ty Thompson, you need to start the better guy. And I think that's truly probably where the this QB decision lands is how how close is this and is Anthony Brown still the guy? I think he is. I expect him to start week one. I expect him to look good week one. Um, I also expect we'll see some quarterback, other quarterbacks play in this game, uh, you know, to really get a good feel for where things are at with a Ty Thompson, a Robbie Ashford, a Jay Butterfield um, to understand if, Hey, like let's, let's get them in some live reps and, and let's go and let's see what happens here. Um, and I, Eric, if it's just me off the cuff here, yeah, I bet we we get a we get a quarterback announcement from Mario Cristobal either on Tuesday the twenty fourth or maybe that Saturday. Um, I think that's the twenty eighth of August, one week, one week out. Yeah. I, I think those are the two days where we find out who's the starting quarterback. It's either going to be Tuesday when Crystal Ball is scheduled to speak, and it's the first, I think, first uh, day of full practice since the spring game or since the scrimmage. Uh, or, like Crystal Ball says, they're going to go still camp mode for a little bit this week. So maybe by Saturday when it's a full week out, we'll find out. I think that those are the two dates I'm, I'm pegging for when we find out a quarterback. And I still will also say don't rule out the fact that we just don't have an announcement because a year ago we were kind of expect having similar conversations about, well, when are they just going to announce Tyler Shucks the quarterback? And it just kind of never happened. So I think just keep that in your cap, too, that if Saturday, if this upcoming Saturday passes um, and there's no announcement, the depth chart sure. probably comes out on that Monday, by the way. That's usually when they announce it. Um, he'll be asked certainly then if he has a starting quarterback, I'll tell you that. Um, and if he doesn't say there, then then you get into a place of, boy, we're really cutting this close to the end here um, in terms of determining who the, the starter is. Now, what other spots you feel like are tight to try and figure out who starts, who makes the two deep? I, I feel like for me, let's just position here and, and stay on the offensive side of the football. Um, we were talking before we were recording the show of, of a couple of receivers and it's like, sometimes that guy's with the first team. Sometimes that guy's not with the second team. Um, I, I think the receiver spot truly might be dif- extremely difficult to figure out how a two deep shakes out in part because it is so talented. Like I, I'm recency bias, probably, but I'm having a hard time realizing and thinking of a, of a team previously at Oregon that on paper has this much talent at Oregon at one time. Oh, receiver. Yeah. We've been saying that the whole time. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's nutty thinking about just the depth they have there. And uh, yeah, you're right. In terms of trying to piece together a starting three, that's not easy. And it's no. not easy for a couple of reasons. It's not easy because the young guys have come in and have really pushed. I think Troy Franklin has probably had more time with the first team, offense than Devin Williams, which was not a thing we expected to take place. Part of that is Devin's dealing with an injury. Another component of some of the uncertainty is that Jalen Red has just recently kind of re-entered the fray as a full go participant. Um, he'd been partial before that. And because of that, that had allowed Micah Pittman to step in as a slot receiver 
um, with the first team. And, and that, you know, you think about how that might reshuffle things. Well, Pittman's now at the slot, so he's not playing outside. That means that there's an open outside spot. Devin's kind of dinged up, so Troy moves in. All of these kind of things are going on. I still really don't have a clear picture of what this is going to look like. I feel good that Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red will be opening day starters. Um, but I'd hedge my bet on who the third guy is to start the season between Devin um, and Troy Franklin. I think Franklin maybe has the edge just in terms of what we've seen in practice, but part of that is because Devin's been in and out of the lineup. So that part's hard. And yeah, in terms of the two deep, like you get past even the first three, we were just talking about this uh, pre-podcast of how talented we think Chris Hudson is. And I said, boy, I, I don't even know if he's one of the top six guys right now. And, and if he is, where does he fit in? I think he's a slot. If he's a slot receiver, is he ahead of Jalen Red or Micah Pittman? I don't think so. So, I mean, it, it, it is, it is really hard to sort of pick, you know, pick and choose what happens at receiver. I mean, maybe if we, do we just want to run through all the position groups and talk about just really quickly about some of the battles there? Cause I think sure. there's a couple that are notable. Sure. I think we can bypass running back. Although, yeah. I mean, that's, that's Verdell and, and die. And the third guy, whoever gets those reps, I mean, they're going to, they're going to get 50 carries, 60, 70 carries a year, you know, like, yeah, maybe not that. even that much. Yeah. Maybe if, not even yeah. That much. Like, like probably fi- 30, 30 to 30 to 65 feels like a good number. That's not worth more time than, than what we've just spent on it. So let's, we just talked tight. We just talked to receiver. Let's stick with other pass catchers. Let's go to tight end. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this one's really interesting. Uh, you've now Patrick Herbert. It sounds like can't rely on him. Yeah. We discussed that last week. It's really tough injury for him. We don't know all the details, but certainly some, some, it sounds like he's not going to play for a very long time this season, if at all. So let's just kind of, at this point, move on from Patrick. So you, you he's no longer in the mix. But I, I really think like Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Matavau are pushing Spencer Webb. And yeah. I think Spencer Webb probably opens the season. But don't be surprised to see one of those guys challenge and maybe overtake him. And then the two wild cards here are two guys who we just don't know kind of where they are from a yeah. health or availability perspective. DJ and Johnson and uh, Cam, Cam McCormick. Yeah, we st- I still don't know everything with DJ. I-, I still have a hard time knowing with Cam what we can expect. I mean, it's the feel-good story of the year if he's able to play and contribute. I believe but- both both participated in the scrimmage. Which, which, which is great news. So if those guys are available, that adds a dynamic there. I still lean Spencer Webb, but I don't think this is over. And I don't think it's Spencer Webb versus the veterans. I think it's Spencer Webb versus the two true freshmen right now. That doesn't mean DJ Johnson and Cam McCormick can't position themselves to be contributors. Um, they certainly have the talent, but um, they have a little work to do, especially DJ. He missed the first about eight or nine days of fall. Really hard to expect someone to miss that much time and then step in and, and take the job over. So I think it's Spencer Webb versus the true freshman right now. I think there's five guys at that tight end spot. Yep. And I think all five guys could start one game at Oregon in 2021. I would, I would co-sign that. I'm not, I mean, I'd probably lean to being less, but that wouldn't surprise me. Um, offensive line. What do we think there? Cause I think it's, it's, it's kind of feels like it's what we expected it would be, but yeah. I think the depth is so significant. It's hard to parse through it all. I feel really good that Forsyth, your starting center. Um, the rest of it, I feel like we kind of know what it's been in practice, but I, I would imagine could be moved around a little bit. Like we've seen, here's what it's been through camp so far. It's been George Moore at left tackle, TJ Bass, left guard, Forsyth center, right guard, Ryan Walk, and right tackle. Uh, Stephen Jones. I lean to that being your your day one starting group. Um, it's interesting. Big Saul is not with the starting lineup, and maybe if there is one move that or, or one player that's not with the ones that ends up starting with the ones for most of the season, it is him. But I don't know. 
it'll be look, here's the question is like if, if big Saul is gonna gonna push those guys to start who does he displace from that group i don't know like is it as simple as he takes ryan walk's job at right guard or does he push ryan sorry or does he push stephen jones or, or george moore at one of the tackle spots i, I think those are interesting position battles to watch but overall I think, uh, pretty good about that five go ahead i, I think sala and jones both guys have the ability to play guard, probably right guard, not left. And it becomes a situation of, okay, if we bring in Sala, do we put him at right tackle? And then do we put Stephen Jones at right guard? And then it's a, then it's a battle between TJ Bass and Ryan walk for left guard for that left guard spot. Um, That to me is a good question. I, I think Ryan walk often gets overlooked because he was a walk on and was a guy that isn't necessarily the biggest guy on the team. I mean, TJ Bass is, is like two inches taller than him and like 25 pounds heavier. But you look at PFF, um, you, you listen to the coaches and, and everybody just raves about Ryan walk, the technician. And so I think that, I think that has to factor in here. Um, I almost, as crazy as it sounds, I almost, if I had to pull somebody off the lineup, I, I might pull TJ Bass and slide walk to left guard and Jones to right guard and keep Sala at right tackle. Um, I do think my prediction of Kingsley Samatia eventually earning a, a starting job in a left, in, at left tackle um, might be hitting an uphill stretch of the road right now. Um, one, because he's, he's dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, that's kind of set things back here a little bit. And two, I think George Moore, I mean, George Moore, you look at him, you see him in practice, you hear what people talk about him. seems like he's really turned a corner and he may have put an anchor down at that left tackle spot. Well, I was just going to say, we talked about the quarterback position and how you've got the veteran against the young guy and how, because of that, the competition feels like it's ongoing. More, more must be doing really, really impressive work in practice to keep Kingsley, not only to the point where Kingsley's with the second unit every day, but also the point where there's not a lot of discussions about, is it George or Kingsley at left tackle? Right. Um, then that speaks to what Moore's done there. So I agree. I'm in agreement there. I don't think any of the true freshmen are going to start this season. Um, at least not until you're dealt with some injuries or, or whatnot, but um, Powers Johnson, all of them, by the way, are hurt right now, which is just unfortunate. Every one of the four true freshman offensive line recruits, Jackson Powers Johnson's been in and out of the lineup. Brand Walden's dealing with a somewhat significant injury. Jonah Miller is, is a, uh, I don't even know how we want to, he's, 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 it's like a long-term thing where he's going to have to take some time to get back to where he needs to be physically to, to really compete. He's lost a lot of weight. Um, so like, I don't think any of those guys can be really trusted. Um, but the offensive line in general, I think you feel pretty good about um, defense. Yeah, let's let's stay front front line here. Defensive line. Um, this one, there really isn't much here for me. That's no. up in the air. Kayvon Thibodeau is one of your edge guys. Brandon Dorless is one of your defensive linemen. Um, Popo Amave is, I think, probably your leader in the clubhouse by far to be your starting nose tackle. Um, and then after that, maybe it's maybe it's the question marks here are who are the guys behind this group? Um, you know, Braden Swinson feels like he's the guy that's behind Kayvon Thibodeau when they're playing like 
three traditional defensive linemen. Um, Kellen Ware Hudson's in the mix at you know, the other spot behind Brandon Dorless. And then you've got two other fresh, two other freshmen and Christian Williams and Jason Jones kind of fighting it out right now along, you know, behind Popo Amave. Yeah, I, I think there is pretty good. I think we pretty clearly know what Oregon's, and again, it's it's hard to how you want to refer to these players, but the two down linemen right now are, are going to be Dorless and Amabe. I think that's pretty clear. Um, and behind them, you just ran through the names. At the from an edge perspective, yeah, it's going to be Kayvon at one spot, and and we'll just include we'll just talk outside linebacker and include it in the conversation because sure. they're synonymous based upon some of the answers Deruder's given to questions I've asked about it. Um, but Mace Funa is the other outside linebacker. And, and yeah, I think Swinson and Adrian Jackson are, depending on which side they're on, because they both can play, you know, e- they can either play the Joker or the Sam. Those are the two outside linebacker spots. Um, I think those guys are able to move around too. So, I mean, I think we kind of really, honestly, there's not a whole lot from the front seven that really is interesting, I don't think. I mean, I think we, we kind of outlined the starters. I think even the second team guys are pretty clear. And, and now yeah. it's like, is just Jason Jones good enough to push Christian Williams? Can can like maybe a Trevin my eye, where does he factor in behind this other group? Um, so I, I think there's that inside linebacker is real, real quick, real quick. I want to say something about the D line. Yeah. Um, I do think this is a season in which they're outside of Kayvon Thibodeau. I almost think it's going to be like a revolving door. Like, they're they're going to shuffle guys in left and right to keep them fresh. Like KT feels like the only one where it's like, hey, no offense to Braden Swinson, but KT is like a number one draft pick, and Swinson hasn't shown that yet. Like the, I I feel everywhere else the talent from a starter from a starter to a backup, the gap there's a gap, but it's not very wide. Um, and so I think what's probably going to be best for this team is just a continuous rotation of guys to ensure that the three or the four or the two defensive linemen that are out there are as fresh as they possibly can be so that they don't get worn down. And just look, I'll continue off this thought before we move into inside, just from an outside linebacker perspective, a thing I've been thinking about recently is, is from a body type and skill set perspective, you do have a really nice blend of players because you have Mace Funa, and Trevin Ma'ai, who are both bigger bodies, who are really good at setting the edge against the run. I think those are guys you see out there when it is a short yardage running situation, goal line, et cetera. You'll see those two players out there a lot. When it's a clear passing situation, I think you see a lot of Kayvon Thibodeau and Adrian Jackson and, and Braden Swinson in there as well. And when it's maybe a situation where there's a little less clarity or you want to do some more funky stuff, you have other ways of doing it. So I, I think you've got a really fun and nice combination of talent amongst those five guys as kind of your primary outside backers. Um, and again, I think you're going to be see them be very multiple. We talk about them as outside backers at times. They will have hands in the dart. Oregon will go, um, you know, more traditional there. But I do think that part does give them – I think that's one thing I've been thinking about recently quite a bit is just the versatility you have at outside linebacker uh, is going to allow Tim Berger to do a lot of creative things from a personnel perspective. Um, as well inside backer we pretty clearly know it's justin flow and noah sewell yeah um you know uh drew mathis continues to be in quote unquote a position battle with flow i I think that will carry out through 
the rest of fall camp, I wouldn't be stunned if we see something similar again, where, where Mathis maybe gets the first snaps against Fresno state, just like he got the first snaps a year ago against Stanford above Noah Sewell. Um, but then it becomes this freshman's pretty good. This kid's pretty good, Drew. I'm sorry. I hate to say it. And I think Flo ends up uh, winning that job and, and taking that down. So, I mean, that's kind of where you're at with inside linebackers. It's Sewell and Flo. We're all really excited about it. I mean, there's not a whole lot from a competition perspective to, to really report back on. I think the depth behind those guys has really been kind of hit. Jackson LaDuke's dealing with a pretty serious injury. Um, you know, the, the Jonathan Flo has been kind of in and out of the lineup. They've started to work Jabril McNeil. Yeah, that's I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, um, to bring he's playing inside. By the way, he's been, he brought up to, to play outside, but he's been playing some inside. Yeah, and this I kind of dig it from a long term perspective. Like, if they look at him and say, "Hey," and if he's okay with this understanding that you're going to redshirt in 2021, we'll get you in in three or four games in 2022. You're, you know, you're going to be a, a backup again. You're going to be a guy that's going to, you know, play eight or nine games, be a special teams demon, you know, really wait your turn here, keep developing. And by your um, red shirt sophomore year in 2023, the hope would be that McNeil has put on 25, 30 pounds of muscle by that time in two and a half years. And now is a six foot four, 235, 240 pound linebacker that has the athleticism of an outside edge player with now the developed skill of an inside guy yeah. with a beefed up ability. He could be a freak at that position. So I kind of dig it. Like, I don't think I'd be pretty shocked if, if Jabril McNeil plays a lot this year as an inside linebacker, but I kind of dig the long term perspective there. Well, and the other thing that 2023 coincides with is that's when Sewell and Flo are exactly. no longer on the team, and that's when that job opens up. Most likely, we should not. They still have eligibility past that, but that's the first year they can go pro early, and, and I think we both think that's that's going to happen. Probably going to happen, yeah. And and we also should note that Keith Brown is is healthy, and I mean Ken Wilson said that he is a lot bigger, a lot faster, a lot more physical than your typical true freshman is he said now it's just can you get and uh, can you get Keith Brown up to speed on the playbook on diagnosing plays and reacting and not thinking before each play I think Keith Brown plays this year I think he does too in part because Luke's out um I think Nate Hukleani and, and Drew Mathis are right now your second and third yeah so it's like a third and fourth inside linebacker. And those are just older, more veteran players as opposed to talent players. I think eventually Keith Brown rises to the top, especially if LaDuke's going to be out for an extended period of time like we think he will be. Um, I, there's going to be snaps for him, just like there are going to be snaps for maybe a Jabril McNeil um, or maybe a Jonathan Flo, a couple of younger guys that are, that are working over there along with Brown to try to play for – push for some playing time this year at a spot where, where you know you've got really good depth at the top, but I think you still have some question marks about kind of who your third and fourth guys are long term. Um, secondary things get interesting. In fact, I would say the position battle I'm most excited about aside from quarterback is the one at cornerback um, between Dante Manning and Triquas Bridges. And I think that's the one that we really don't have a great feel for. Like, I think we could pretty confidently predict starters. I guess wide receivers, the other one I'm a little bit iffy for. 
Um, we mentioned that earlier just because of the, you know, some of the rotations there, but corner is the other one where I, I really don't have a hundred percent certainty. I could make a call it, you know, I could call my shot and go try Quez, which is probably where I'd lean right now, but I genuinely don't know. And I think you could get into um, that game against Fresno state with both those guys still kind of even probably splitting reps. And, and maybe that's the way it works throughout the season. I don't know, but um, that certainly feels like a position where you've got two talented guys jockeying for position. Um, and there hasn't been one that so far has separated himself enough from the other uh, to really make a call. We don't expect Jamal Hill and C- and um, DJ James to play right week one. Like not, not week one. I don't think I um, haven't seen them at practice yet. No, no. And we won't, we're not going to see them around the team until they say something. Um, I mean, like, like we're now a little bit, I mean, we, we didn't, we, we didn't put this on our show nights. Um, in fact, we don't have a lot of show notes for the show. We're <laughs> pulled off the cuff to be full full disclosure. Um, but like, are we a little surprised at this point? Like, we're now a little bit removed from the the incident with James and Hill. No. Are we a little surprised we haven't heard anything? I'm not. Okay. Until until we know what is final with the legal process, they're up. They're in indif- They're in. De- you know, they're out indefinitely until things finish with the legal process. Yeah, it seems unlikely then that we have much clarity on this until maybe you get into conference play. That's why I said, you know, off. You know, this was a conversation with Melissa amongst the media that I don't think they play the non-con, like just because you know there were some people that gave some pushback of that because they're not going to play a guy until the legality aspect of this gets finalized. You know, when whether it gets gets plead down or they get sentenced to community service or or what have you. Until this gets finalized from a legal standpoint, Oregon's not going to throw them out there to play games. Like, there's no way that that's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I I don't think they're going to be out there for a while, which creates an interesting dynamic of do any of these guys potentially lose their starter role full time? Like, I think there's probably a, a better likelihood that a Dante Manning, a Traquez Bridges, um, a Jalen Davies maybe steals DJ James spot than someone coming in and, and full-time taking Jamal Hills. But what have we heard during, you know, during the first two and a half weeks of camp, Bennett Williams seems to be a good, a, a really good fit at that neck at that nickel spot. And Brian Addison seems to have really kind of done a good job at another safety spot. And Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges, but maybe it's because, you know, they're guys that have had to just be forced to play big, you know, more snaps, but they've done a really good job, especially you know, everyone knew about Dante Manning. I, I think the diehard fan knew about Triquez Bridges, but the average fan out there probably doesn't realize who Triquez Bridges is. And he's probably a new name. That's like, well, wait, I thought it was Dante Manning that was just going to slide right in. Who's this Bridges kid? I've already kind of, I don't want to say written off because that's way too dramatic of a statement. I've already kind of said DJ James has some work to do to really work himself back into this. In fact, I, I think the way that Bridges and, and Manning have played in camp, I don't think this would have been cut and dry James's job. I think we would be talking about a position battle amongst those three guys today, regardless of if James was there. And so if one of those guys takes this job and plays really well, I hate to say, I think James might be kind of SOL. Um, in terms of being a starter, uh, if one of these guys, they're, they're going to have a full opportunity now to have had all of fall camp to solidify themselves in this role. 
And it sounds like potentially at least a couple of games to do the same. And if one of those guys performs really, really well against Ohio State, against top-tier talent, I don't see how in the world you say DJ James is a starter when he comes back. Um, and he certainly you, you keep the door open to make that an ongoing competition once he does return. But I'm not going to be surprised in the least if this season ends and DJ James doesn't start a game um, based upon where things are at right now. I mean, he's missing crucial snaps. I mean, this was, I mean, this is what makes this whole thing so infuriating. If, if you're, you know, in DJ James's corner and go on a little rant here is this is your fall camp to solidify yourself as a starting cornerback yeah. at this school. And you do something really, you do make a boneheaded mistake and you put yourself in a spot here where not only do you potentially lose out in 21, but if one of those guys is good enough, you might lose out in that job in 21 and 22. And I know Mikhail Wright might leave after 22 or after 21, I should say, and open the door for 22. But if Bridges and, and, uh, and, and Dante Manning are good, as good as we think they might be, he might be looking at third position moving forward. I mean, this could yeah. be a colossal thing where we look back and go, DJ James could have been a starter in 21 and, and for a couple of years to, he might never start at Oregon full time. So um, that's where I look at with that. Um, at the star position, you mentioned Bennett Williams. I think Jamal Hill's facing a similar uphill battle. Now, I think I'm a lot higher on Jamal Hill's ability as a football player. Um, I had him ranked as the 10th most talented player on the team when we did a, a ranking of the team this preseason. I've said all the way throughout offseason, I think he's a potential all-conference player. But Bennett Williams is a really talented player too, freshman All-American at Illinois. So I think he'll challenge Hill. I feel probably more confident that Hill starts games this year than I do James, but um, I don't think either guy walks back in and waltzes into practice whenever they are returned and is just running with the ones right away. I think both those guys have a lot of work to do. And, and again, for James, I just don't know if he ends up getting there again, to be honest. It's going to be interesting to see play out, no doubt. Is is there the reputation that the secondary at Oregon the last three or four years has been probably a top 10 secondary in the country? Now, I don't know if they lived up to that billing last year. And part of that wasn't their fault because I'm not blaming these guys, but no one, no one could expect Javon Holland and, and, and Thomas Graham, excuse me, both opting out um, and Brady Breeds, excuse me. So you had three guys, you had your Rose Bowl MVP, you had a, a, a three-year starter, and then you had a guy that went on to be, be a second-round draft pick without playing a – a junior season all opt out, you know, a couple weeks before the year. So 2020 was kind of an anomaly, but is that kind of your expectation that this group can still have that high of regard that, Hey, maybe they're maybe not like the, the, the first, the second best, third best defensive back unit in the country, the fourth best defensive back unit in the country, but they're a top 10 unit is, do you feel like that depth, that talent still there for that? Or maybe should we expect our, you know, hone back our expectations a little bit? I think you got to hone them a little. Um, I think the talent is certainly there, but I, I you, but I think you also look at this group right now and, and where they are, and you have three brand new starters basically in the secondary. You've got Wright and McKinley back. I think both those guys are all conference caliber players. I think both could be, if they have a perfect everything falls right, could be maybe get looks at some sort of all American, you know, you know, atten- you know, at least attention, at least kind of on the watch list, maybe. You know, they're in contention for some postseason awards because they're those kind of players. I think they're both that good, but you are, you are basically then throwing in a new starter and Steve Stevens next to McKinley at the back end. We didn't get to safety, but I think that's pretty clearly what's happening. I don't think there's a competition battle. I think he's going to be one of your starting safeties next to McKinley. 
Um, but then you're talking about as much as I just said, all the nice things about the corners and the nice things about that nickel spot, those are first year players. And so mm -hmm. I don't think you can expect right away for them to be playing at that level, which is what you get a little scared about thinking about facing Ohio state. But by the end of the season, I think, yeah, I think you can, can start having those sort of conversations. I just think early on, I'm still like, it's three guys who haven't really started for Oregon at this level in these roles before. And that makes me a little bit wary to say they're top four, top five. Um, maybe even top 10 to start a season. But by end of the season, I'm not going to be surprised if they get there. I think the town's really good there. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I think Steve Stevens is going to become a really good player at safety for Oregon. Um, we we know that Verone McKinley and that Mikhail Wright are future NFL guys. Um, it's now going to become like, what? how good is this depth? That, that we've heard about and are they ready for a bigger role again? It's kind of like last year with Jamal Hill and DJ James, where mm -hmm. they were both kind of thrust into a role that was one year out for them. Um, and now it's that way again with a Bennett Williams or Dante Manning or, or a TriQuest Bridges. Um, I will say though, I'm really excited. I don't know how much they're going to play. I'm really excited about Jeffrey Bossa and Damon David, uh, who also goes by Scoop. Um, I, I think those two freshmen, they're going to play, and it might just be special teams, but I feel like there's going to be a play or two every game that one of those two guys makes where it's like, wow, that was, that was impressive, or that was an important tackle on special teams, or did you see that guy get in a little bit, you know, in this position – uh, in the secondary and, and he held his own, like those two freshmen are going to play. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with you. I don't know what roles they play. Cause I think they're both now probably running third at their prospective position on defense. Um, boss is working at the nickel spot. I think he's pretty clearly behind Williams maybe running second with Happel, but those two are kind of competing for that third spot right now or that second spot, I should say. And then at the other safety spot with David, yeah, you've got Addison, who we mentioned earlier. You've got uh, Steve Stevens. You've got Happel, a couple of those guys competing there. I just think they're a little behind from a – David maybe has a better shot of playing defense than Bassa, but I still think it's it's going to take something from maybe an injury perspective or they're just going to be too good not to play. But you're right, special teams for sure. You have to mention those guys. And, like, I'll be really – I think down the line, both those guys are going to be starters pretty clearly um, before they're done at Oregon. And it, it could be as soon as 22 for one or both of those guys, depending on who goes pro after this season. Like, shoot, if Pharrell McKinley decides this is his last year, David could slide in there. You know, if if stuff with Jamal Hill doesn't get sorted out and, and or with Bennett Williams, shoot, maybe Vasa competes for a 2022 starting spot. Probably not as likely – um, as what would have to happen for David. But no, I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement. Both those guys have flashed. And in general, just like the defensive newcomers and really just the newcomers in the entire team have really flashed. It's a really talented group. And, and you start to see why these recruiting, you know, not, not that it's, this is sort of a silly comment, but it, it is becoming concrete evidence of the value of recruiting class after class like this, of just how different this 2021 recruiting class is or this 2020, or this 2019, just how good these kids are immediately and are capable of contributing. It's just a little different caliber, and it's been very notable just that every every single player, almost to a name, to a T, it seems like he can say, he could play this year. He could yeah. contribute. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's almost a single guy. A few players are dinged up, but not very many players can you say, 
can you kind of healthy among the healthy guys you you can say that yeah you can't write off very many of them for being contributors right away and that just speaks to the recruiting uh, this this program has had And, and again we've seen it in 2022 going forward but this is why you get excited by recruiting commitments is you see this come to play in fall camp and during i think this season of super talented team super talented team and a lot of these young guys are ready special teams there's not a lot of questions here there are a couple um a little bit punter is locked up by tom snee and by the way like what a weird career for tom snee shows up as a true freshman in 2018 and punted in 10 games averaged a solid 35 yards per punt not not the best but also certainly not the worst and for context, all directional work, so it was all short fields. Right. And then as a sophomore, he redshirts. And then as a redshirt sophomore in 2020, he punted in all seven games for Oregon and did a pretty good job. Averaged 43 yards per punt on just 25 attempts. Um, 11 of those 25 were fair caught. He pinned 11 more inside the 20-yard line, uh, four against UCLA, by the way, and three in the Pac-12 championship game. And so he's he returns as like the – He's clear-cut, the starting punter for Oregon. As a redshirt sophomore, he's got three years of eligibility, and he's already had two years of punting. Uh, It's a weird deal um, from there. Long snapper, Karsten Battles has got that job won. Cristobal talked about how, like, he's an unsung hero. Like, we only hear about him if he makes a mistake, and we never hear about him. Um, And this is... This is a guy, Eric. He's played in 34 games at Oregon, and he's a redshirt sophomore. Or he's a junior, excuse me. It's, it's, that's still insane though um tom snee also holds the job for for the hunt for the holder on on pats and i i think henry cattleman is probably your kicker but they had a, two kicks in the scrimmage um cristobal said that cattleman made a 42 yarder and then camden lewis made a 49 yarder those are the only two kicks uh, that that were attempted during the scrimmage. I I think Cattleman's the the leader, but Lewis does seem to maybe have gotten a little bit better. Um, Lewis is also probably going to be your kickoff specialist, which opens up the door. Really, your only question marks on special teams are who returns kicks. Yeah, I think those are the big ones. I agree. Place kicker, kickoff specialist. They're, they haven't announced that. There's not like 100% clarity, but I feel pretty good about what you said in terms of Cattleman and Lewis handling those jobs. Return stuff is where it gets interesting, and it is where we continue to, I think, kind of just have to read the tea leaves of what we read in Rob Mosey's practice reports and what Mario or Bobby Williams say about who the candidates are. I do think Mikhail Wright is either a candidate to do both or neither, um, and I think Micah Pittman is a name to know in terms of a punt returner from what we watched. Um, Johnny Johnson as well. I, I think there's a lot of guys in position for this and probably just because of the way practices are held and how they, they don't practice returns in front of us ever, basically. Um, and we only had one scrimmage to go off of. I, I really don't have a seven McGee's other name. I should note. I don't really have a, a clear cut of who's going to win these jobs. And, and honestly, one of the more surprising parts of that depth chart being released in about a week is probably going to be some of those special teams uh, choices, some of those punt return kickoff return guys. Um, who some of those players are, because it just hasn't been as much clarity as we probably would have had in previous fall camps about who those guys are right now. That's going to be our position run through a little bit longer than we expected on the podcast. We appreciate you making it through all this way. If you have, 
Um, any lasting parting thoughts until we maybe do another analysis show later on in the week? Uh, Wednesday will be the mailbag, but any, any last kind of parting thoughts here, Eric? I'm just really excited to see how this quarterback battle plays out. I know we talked about that. It feels like an hour ago. Maybe it is based on actual time, um, but we, we spoke a lot about it, so I won't go into too much more, but I'm just really curious to see how this plays out. I think this is a lot more competitive than we'd expected. I think this is an actual decision that has to be made for Mario Cristobal, Joe Moorhead and company. Whereas when, when fall camp started, I didn't think there'd be an actual decision to be made. So credit the freshmen for at least putting them in a spot where, where there's a decision that has to be made. I don't know if I expected that to be the case um, a couple of weeks ago. Until we talk to you, when we talk to you, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.